the next episode of Nerd Flicks and Chill will start in three, two, one, zero. Hey everybody, this is Nick. And this is Carrie. And we are Nerd Flicks and Chill. It's time for another Watchmen recap. This one is episode seven in almost religious awe. Almost. Almost. Not quite <laughs> religious, but like close to it. Do you know where like, the title of this one comes from? Because I sure don't. Yeah, it actually refers back to the original Watchmen. And it's a comment that I think Dr. Manhattan was making about the um, Vietnamese, where he says something like, their terror of me was balanced by an almost religious awe. Almost. Almost. <laughs> But it is really interesting here because there is a lot of cool stuff that happens. In the intro, we get a little bit of background on Dr. Manhattan, and then the final scene is a reveal of Dr. Manhattan. So I thought that was pretty well done. Yeah, this episode was a roller coaster. I mean, even when I was watching it the first time, and even now watching it again, I think this was my third time through, um... It, everything still hits and still lands like oh man it's so good yeah this is a strong episode it really it, it picks up from the momentum of the previous episode and kind of carries it forward yeah. and i think that makes sense in that they are kind of narratively connected mm -hmm. in a way um whereas like she's experiencing these memories of her grandfather in the last episode and now in this one, she is regaining some of her own and then also drawing some some connections between her life and his life, it's, it appears. Exactly. And it, it's a great way of just showing that storytelling of not only showing the connections, but also having that be part of the narrative where it's her kind of coming back into her own. So you're seeing that blending of the memories but right. yet it's a storytelling vehicle as well. It was really smart. Yeah. We also see Angela early on in this episode where she got the inspiration for Sister Night. She's got that uh, movie in the video store that she gets. I think we're in 1987 mm -hmm. at this point in the episode. Yeah, she said it was her 10th birthday. Yeah, and what I love about this scene is, you know, eventually she takes that video back to her parents and... um you know, actually, I think it's later on. Never mind. It's when she's with her grandmother and she says, you know, she looks like me. Yeah. And she's growing up in a place where not many people do. But it's also a more broad statement on representation. Yes. You know, we talk about there not being enough minority characters, not being enough female characters. Yes. And, you know, sometimes with, with this world of genre entertainment, I mean, people tend to throw a fit about that. But you know, like, look at what the Star Wars fandom has turned into. Because, God forbid, a, a girl can wield a lightsaber. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, it, representation is, is so important. It's so important. When you are able to see yourself as a hero and not always see yourself as a villain in things or see yourself confined to a certain stereotype within movies, it is important and it's powerful and... I can't even believe we're still talking about representation. Although I do have to say that for me and my fellow puppeteers, the representation in this episode is not good. Ah, yes, yes. 
Like, come on, man. man. We get a bad rap as it is. So, wait. You're <laughs> saying that not all puppeteers are terrorists? Is that what you're saying? Shh. Stop it. That's... Okay. I can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, that whole sequence, too, with the puppeteer, it's uh, another callback to the original Watchmen where he tells Silk Spectre, where... Um, Captain, or Captain Manhattan. Stop Dr. it. Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> Jesus. I'm rubbing off on you. I'm sorry. Uh, Dr. Manhattan. You should say um, Mr. That's good. Tell, tell Silk Spectre that he's, he, everybody's a puppet. He's a puppet too. It's just that he can see the strings. Yeah. So definitely a, um, reference back to that also another thing in this episode that i noticed is angela is all decked out in blue almost the entire time i know and i'm also thinking too i i really want her wrap um jumpsuit thing that she's wearing i love (laughs) the costume yeah i do i want it i love the costume design in this entire show especially for lady true and um angela while she's under lady true's care uh i love it I love all the clothes, and I want the um, wrap onesie. It's not a onesie, but it's a one-piece. I want it. Yeah. Uh, the blue has been lingering all throughout this. It always has followed Angela all around the series up to this point, and it's, this is probably its most prominent when you see the little girl flashbacks. Even the very last shot is blue reflected on her face from Dr. Manhattan. So it's just, again, more of that color symbolism that's been you know, prevalent throughout the entire show. Yeah, there's even one point, I don't know if it's the last shot when we see her, um, I think it is the last shot when we see her after her grandmother um, dies and it's the, as the camera pulls back, there's a, a drawing of Dr. Manhattan right over her left shoulder. Little right yeah, that has a little graffiti on it too. Well, yes, his murderer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it does show that, like, Dr. Manhattan is, like, looming around her life. Well, and then one thing that I did not make the connection of until we started talking during this episode was that her birthday, I guess, is that Dr. Manhattan Day or whatever they call it on the show. Yeah, VVN they called it, I think. Yeah. Which is, like, I don't know, it's like Vietnam victory. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't catch what it stood for. It, it shows yeah, it, it very briefly. The camera pans by it, but I didn't think enough to pause it and look at it. But we also find out what happened to uh, her parents. We find out that they were killed in this terrorist incident. And it just seems like she is part of this generational suffering. Yeah. And that just keeps getting more fully established. I mean... Will suffered from it, and to a certain degree, it looks like her father kind of suffered from it too. And then he was killed, and now she suffer. She's kind of suffering from that same thing, and her kids have suffered from it with their parents. It's just a cycle of violence that she can't seem to uh, avoid. Right, right, and and again, um, as part of being in that cycle, is so much more how she is connected to her grandfather and why it was so much more important for him to be able to show her as he has mentioned she she wouldn't understand it if she was just told she needed to see it yeah i mean i i question the truth of that because to a certain degree will doesn't really know her life very well 
True. Yeah. Yeah, all kinds of little cool details here. What did you think of the nostalgia pill um, treatment? Treatment that they provide her. Well, first of all, the first thing that freaked me out was the information that gets injected into her. The um, what do yeah. they call it? I can't remember what they called it. The tutorial or something. Yeah, the tutorial injection. Uh, that was freaky. Um, not that just, feels like something that could happen, right? It does, and part of me is like, can can we actually get that to happen? Because I would rather train that way than have to sit in a classroom or something. Um, it's it's both intriguing and slightly terrifying because it kind of reminded me of the Matrix when they just get plugged in and it's like you just download. I know kung fu. Um, <laughs> That would be awesome. Just inject it into me. But yet, yeah, that's terrifying because you're going right into your brain and your memories. um, And that's a little scary. So that was interesting. But then the whole lead up to this treatment and this, you know, tubing that we see that's just going to nowhere. And then it's, you know, it's in a room and we're led to believe or as Angela does that it was probably it would make sense that it's her grandfather that's on the other side, you know, siphon the memories back into him, I guess. Um, but no, that is not the case. Yeah, instead it's a giant elephant. Yeah. And at first I was like, what the fuck? Like, it just didn't make any sense to me. And it was so weird until I listened to the Watchmen podcast. And the reasoning behind it, once they said it, I was like, okay, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what Damon Lindelof said. I think an elephant was not their first idea. No, it was... I don't remember what he said his first idea was, but it was an idea from somebody on his staff. And and it was like, oh my God, the idea is brilliant. Like, mine is crap now because of that. That's so good. And that's... That, to me, is... I'm getting off on a tangent, but that, to me, is the sign of a really good creative collaborator when they yeah. can resign their own idea. Like, they don't take it personally. They don't take um, so much ownership of their own ideas that they are open to others to make their own vision better. And right. that was exactly what had happened, is that somebody on their writing staff threw out this idea and he was like fuck that's it the whole idea is that it's because an elephant never forgets yeah and they also are using them as kind of giant hard drives yeah yeah it's just yeah it's just a big organic hard drive full mm-hmm. of information that they can take memories out of put memories into yep and that's an interesting way to look at the world it also uh, seems to symbolize some things about, you know, her kind of Vietnamese culture as well, because she's always got those little, like, Vietnamese elephant carvings and things like that. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, the True logo itself is an elephant. I don't know if you noticed that. Yep. But there are tusks that come out of the T in True. Yep. Yeah, so there's there's that kind of symbolism has always been around it, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, I like the choice of an elephant. I like that it just kind of leaves you with this kind of head scratching feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird and yet somehow makes sense in a strange way. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was a really interesting idea and I'm really glad that he thought so as well. And 
was open to it. That's yeah, a good I collaborator. Think that's, absolutely. 100%. I thought that was really well done. Um, I also love the scenes with Angela and Lady True. I think they're really good scenes. Every Agreed. time they're on screen together, they're excellent. Agreed. Agreed. I absolutely... I think my my three favorite... Oh, God, it's so hard because they're all so good, but I love... I love Lady True, I love Agent Blake, and I love Angela. And I love when when Angela is in a scene with either one of them. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. True is a really terrific character. She's awful, but she is, I don't know, you, you like, it's hard not to like her. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, also props to the the portrayal by the actress that plays her. Yeah, she's terrific. So good and so kind of cold and deadpanned, but yet authoritative and inquisitive in some parts. Um, yeah, it's it it's so weird how cardboard like her um, delivery is, and yet so nuanced. It's just just the way that she will use the inflection of her voice to give it um, a bit more color. So it's not as flat. It's just, it's so, God, it's so well done. Yeah. And I also think that it's really great the way that this episode is so Angela centric and that a lot of it is about a little bit of chess being played between her and true to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Like the other characters are all kind of secondary. Like we do get a little bit of Cal trying to communicate with Angela just to show how confined she is. And we also see Lori Blake has a couple things that she does uh, yeah. in this episode where, you know, she has the tape recorder full of Angela's rantings while on nostalgia and she confronts Judd's wife and gets Mr. Burns through the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the first thing that came to mind. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> was Mr. Burns. She pulled a Mr. Burns on. Oh my God. On Lori. That's so funny. But it just it's crazy too in that moment where Agent Blake is so blindsided. Because she you get the idea that she is on top of everything and she would not put herself in any kind of a situation unless she knew the outcome of it. You know, kind of like a really good lawyer in court. You're not gonna ask the question unless you already know the answer. Like I literally did not think that she suspected that any of that was gonna happen. Right. Yeah. I love that it doesn't work initially, the trapdoor. <laughs> yeah. Like the fact that it doesn't work, it gives you a couple seconds to kind of figure it out. And I really like the way they did that, the way they drew it out just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty smart. Again, magnificent pacing on this show. Never trust the mom from Titanic, man. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's not a lot that happens with some of the other characters. It's mostly just an Angela story. We do get the whole thing with Vite. And the Vite stuff is actually maybe the most interesting it's ever been. Because this whole trial, this whole trial that he goes through, it's been going on for a year. So now we know that we have another year passing. Mm -hmm. What is most interesting about this trial is that it is essentially a giant stage play. Oh, yeah. Nothing that's happening in that trial was not dictated by Vite. 
Right. And the interesting thing about that is it seems as though he is trying to make himself feel guilt for the things that he's done. Oh, especially with how we're left with it at the end. Yeah, with the whole room of people yelling guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the other thing, too, about that, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but essentially, Veidt's thing was that he dropped this squid on New York, killed three and a half million people, but it was for the greater good, right? This utilitarian idea. Mm-hmm. Then during the trial, you see the game warden presiding over it, replaces the jury with pigs, and it feels weird. But there is, I can't remember it directly, there is this kind of um, argument against utilitarianism okay. that effectively reduces people to pigs if they only act in their own self-interest, then they are no different than pigs. Mm. I think think that is what they're playing at in this scene because it's a total utilitarian move that he pulls but now they're using this as an article in his judgment well he's using it yeah yeah right like i said everything in this is they none of those crookshanks and um was it phillips are acting on their own they can't basically they are they do as they are told so they are doing as they have been told to do they are playing their part they're playing their role and Vite is just sitting there with his head down the entire time and it makes me wonder if not only is he grappling with what he's done but i wonder if he's trying to make himself feel that guilt because he doesn't for sure and he definitely is and it's not as if he i don't think it's a matter of him punishing himself i I don't think he thinks that he needs to be punished but i think he needs to he thinks that he needs to feel something and he doesn't he doesn't yeah. yeah and i think his reaction at the end of that is a reaction to the fact that he doesn't feel it didn't work. The way he should. With a room full of people shouting guilty at him for all the things, everything he's done laid bare before him, he still doesn't well, and I feel think, it. But I think also, too, he's not going to feel it because he knows it's not genuine. They're shouting guilty at him because he's told them to do that. Yeah. And I think he's trying to incite that feeling that maybe this will spark something in him, but... Above all, he knows that it's all a ruse, and they're only doing that not because they feel that he's guilty, but because he's told them to do that. Yeah. So it's not going to click. Yeah. But I, I don't know that he's ever going to... I mean, he's a sociopath. Yeah. And a narcissist. Totally. Like, it's who he is. And maybe this time in what is kind of a solitude, I mean, even though he has all the... the Phillips and Crookshanks is he could want. No. He's still alone. He's still isolated. Very much so. And I think yeah. he always will. He always will be. And and maybe the only, the only way that he would not be, is from Doctor Manhattan because that's the only person I think that could match wits with him because he's supposed to be Vite is supposed to be like the smartest man, you know. Right. That's incredibly isolating. Not that I would know. 
<laughs> by any means. But I can imagine that having that kind of intellect, no matter what, is going to be incredibly isolating. For sure. A hundred percent. Yeah, this one, I think, is a tough episode for Vite just uh, mm-hmm. emotionally because he's just lost in yeah. a way. Yeah, totally. And he's trying. It, that's, the th- that's the other thing that's interesting, though, is that he's trying, I think. He, 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 he's trying to feel something. He's trying to spark something within him, and it's just not happening. No. Yeah, I agree. Can I tell you, the, the, the most punchable face in this show <laughs> yeah. is Joe Keen after he oh, utters God. the line, how difficult it is being a white man in America these yes. days. Yes. Yes. Oh, I, I just want to reach through the screen and punch him in his teeth. Yeah. Yeah. And what a juicy thing for that actor, too, to be able to do that. And to be able to deliver it in a way because you want people to despise you for saying that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he did a good job because, yeah, I felt very punchy. Very stabby. Yeah, it's a little cliche that he does the whole reveal the villain plan to Lori <laughs> well, thing. Yeah, and I love the fact that she's like, okay, you're going to tell me your whole thing. I don't, you know, that's what it is. Yeah. 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 She also says that she's tired of the silliness, which is ironic because she's been herself kind of a jokester. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was... um Ironic. An interesting development for her, that she's just tired. Yeah. You know, she's... Again, for her, this is going back decades. Mm-hmm. We also find out a little bit about what happened to Looking Glass... The guys from the 7th Cavalry uh, apparently got their asses handed to them, and one of them lost a mask. Yes. Mm, where did that Which, to be go? honest, I didn't notice the missing mask the first time I watched it. I did not either. Yeah, I mean, I, it, I, it, it, but they even point blank say it. Oh, one of them yeah. is without a mask. Yeah. It just doesn't register because, well, that's the thing is, and I think I've mentioned this before that with this show, there's just so much crazy that's thrown at you that sometimes there's a little detail that happens and you just lose it. You just, it just, you just miss it altogether because your brain is so overloaded with, you know, Angela being hooked up to an elephant and the Mr. Burns and, you know, all this. Well, that was actually before the Mr. Burns part, but, um, just all this other stuff with the fight and, and everything that happens, your brain is just like, this is crazy. A missing mask? Eh, it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. We get the reveal of the, the evil plan to, to become a Dr. Manhattan type being. We don't mm-hmm. know the details of it yet, but we get that big reveal in this episode. Do you know another little cool detail? And I'm sorry, sorry to go back on this, but mm. they do that I do transition. It all the time. It's okay. <laughs> they do that transition from Vite's face to the statue face. Yes. And then the butterfly takes off from the statue. Mm-hmm. I love that cool yeah. little storytelling telling detail that from a cocoon will emerge a butterfly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Great little detail there. Good stuff. This, yeah, yeah. Again, it's just there are little storytelling details that they are able to do with minimal dialogue and just with the movement of a camera or something, how they're able to tell so much. And I appreciate 
that kind of storytelling. Because there are so many details in in all different kinds of movies or TV shows that it's like, well, there's this this extra little thing they could have given us this you know information or why was that on the cutting room floor that would have been really important to the movie and it's like it can be done you can tell things without it having to be overly complicated you just have to do it in a creative way yeah i agree can we also talk about the little girl who plays young angela because i think she's terrific always yeah she was amazing really chilling chilling was it i love the scene where she gets pulled out of the orphanage and and goes to talk to the cops. So the cops are like, you know, you're not in trouble. We just, we need your help. And they identify the puppeteer. And, oh, it's so chilling when she's like, can I, can I listen? Like, she knows what's going to happen. But, like, she needs to hear it. Yeah. Oh, my God. So chilling. Yeah. And she just does such a great job she's terrific in this whole episode you can see her noticing things like when she seems to have an instinct about the puppeteer you know she seems to have an instinct that something is about to happen Mm -hmm. or the reaction when she gets out of the car after her grandmother has the the heart attack and dies right there in the street yeah right when you think that she is about to have some good stuff happen to her you know just a devastating moment yeah, I, I really appreciate her portrayal because <laughs> one of the things that annoys the absolute fuck out of me um, are child actors that overact. Yeah. Like the um, stereotypical like Nickelodeon or Disney Channel kids where it's mm-hmm. just way over the top and oh God, I can't stand it. Like especially if you see a kid that's singing and they do that like head shake thing while they're singing. I can't stand it. <laughs> it's so fucking annoying to me. That's a very specific grievance. It is. And I I want to throw something anytime I see it. I hate it. Um <laughs> Yeah, but, like, kids. Don't shake your head. Just seriously <laughs> don't. Because I will throw something. Um but her performance, again, like many others in this show, like Lady True, like um, Cal, like their performances are so understated and and in many ways and just incredibly reserved. And this young Angela, so much of her performance is in her reaction to seeing other things happening. And yeah. it's it's really good. Yeah, she's terrific. All those flashback scenes, you know, from the explosion that kills her parents, the scene in the video store where she's picking out the sister night flick, and to to the ones at the orphanage, the one with her grandmother, they're all really, really good. Yeah. And they all reveal how much this character has been through. They really are enriching for Angela's character overall. Mm Mm-hmm. Even the idea, I even like the idea that in the orphanage, she's essentially working to paint Dr. Manhattan dolls. Right. She's just True. essentially doing like, like in a sweatshop. <laughs> yeah. But there's also that cool little detail of her painting the ring around his head. Yes. That at the, in the final shot, yep. she's, you know, smashing his head open to oh. take that little metal ring out of it. How, again, how awesome was this shot set up? This whole scene? At the very end, the way she's talking yeah. to Cal, 
the way Cal is receiving it, the way she stops calling him Cal and starts referring to him as John, and she's holding a hammer because it just seems chilling. Like it makes it seem as if she's just gone crazy. Right. Yeah. And there is, as the viewer, you are left with enough doubt as about her stability after having gone through that experience mm-hmm. of, you know, ingesting all that nostalgia. You don't know if she's, if she's herself. Yeah. You know, seriously. And it's, it's really great. One of the things that they do where it's a couple times where we see it like from Cal's perspective because the camera's up high looking down at Angela. I thought that was really interesting. So it was kind of putting us in his perspective thinking like, oh my God, she's going crazy. She's coming at me with a hammer. And then how incredibly, delightfully, sickeningly graphic it is for her to smack him on the head and then just be chucking away at his skull it's like it's so you're like what the fuck is happening on this show i remember the first time i watched it it's like what the hell is going on and then she's digging around in his forehead it's like what is this and then yeah she pulls the little thing out and you see the reflection in her eyes of dr manhattan yeah and also the reflection on her skin, too, the blue coloring on her yeah. skin. The other, my favorite little detail about, there's actually two really cool little details there. One is when she's walking into the house, he's reading a Hemingway book for whom the bell tolls, yeah. which um, actually sets up pretty nicely. It's about... Uh, it's about this guy fighting in the Spanish Civil War. Uh, he dies at the end, you know, doing something that he knows is going to get him killed. He ends up kind of going with this, like, guerrilla group and falls in love and all this other stuff. It Basically, the story in the book kind of parallels what, what Dr. Manhattan is about to experience to a certain degree. It's also good. Going South Fascists and Racists. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's also a good Metallica song. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so I thought that was a pretty cool detail. The other really great detail is the song playing at the end credits. One of my favorites, Life on Mars by David Bowie. Mm-hmm. However, this version is composed by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. I saw his name pop up there. I was like, wait, Pretty what? cool stuff. Yeah. He's been killing it with like movie score stuff. Yeah. Like the last 10 to 12 years, I think he's been really good at it. Yeah. Another great little detail that I noticed here is not in this scene, but earlier in the episode when Angela is trying to get to Will or who she thinks is Will, it's basically cut against a lady true speech that she's giving. Right. And in that speech, she says something like, gaze upon our mighty work. But it's essentially a modified version of the Ozymandias poem. Okay. Yeah, there's that famous Ozymandias poem. It's also the the name of Veidt's alter ego. But yeah, the the poem itself is pretty famous. Um, It's weird. Every time I think of Ozymandias, I think of the one of the final episodes of Breaking Bad because that was the title 
mm. of that episode. And yeah, it's kind of funny. Mm. But yeah, there's a there's a modified version of that poem in there. Maybe this kind of apple doesn't fall far from the tree kind of ah, and thing that, it that has yet at. to have been revealed at this point in the series that she is his daughter, which she right. hints at. Um, again, earlier where, when Angela confronts her and is like, whose memories are you putting into, um, beyonds? And so she right. explains the whole thing that it's her mother. And she's like, oh, your father's going to be here too. And she's like, yeah, he will be. Yeah. I also Actually, love he that... is at that point. We just don't know it. <laughs> True. He's in the room. <laughs> yeah. Um, another cool little detail that I noticed, I... <sighs> I wasn't a hundred percent sure until I got deeper into the scene, but I also think they are setting up kind of an, a larger contrast in that you mentioned before when we in the flashback see Angela's grandmother dying, the shot of Angela, we have the graffiti, the, the, the painting of Dr. Manhattan on the wall that's been written over with murderer put blood on his hands mm-hmm. and also puts horns on his head. Yes. Implying that he's like a devil or a demon or something. Mm -hmm. If you watch when Angela is going into that room where the blue globe is. Yes, the one that looks kind of like a black void. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But just look at the up, just above her head, there is actually a halo effect that happens multiple times. Mm. Once... Is an accident to me, but multiple times is, uh, it, it definitely Purpose. is teeing up the kind of like, maybe she is the better version of that. Mm, okay. Even the idea of her walking towards that globe in that moment, she looks like a god looking down on a, a planet. Yeah. So she's getting some kind of idea of what it might be like to, to be Manhattan or to, what what kind of responsibility that might entail. I also find the exchange between her and True in this scene so interesting because the first time you watch it, you just take it at face value. The second time you watch it, you realize Lady True knows that Cal is Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And they're having this exchange and yet neither one of them is giving either one anything but yet Angela does slip up because she doesn't ask well then who is it because Angela obviously at this point she knows right it's just again it's being able to go back and rewatch this series and to see these scenes play out in a different context and and realize how they are able to play out in multiple ways is just so brilliant. I can't, yeah. I can't speak well enough. I, I sound like a broken record when I talk about this show, but it's justified. And I think true knows because the seventh cavalry knows. Right. And I think that's the, the link. Yeah. I mean, th- it's so thoughtful. Even like one of the things that I noticed is that when the game warden is presiding over the trial, mm-hmm. The logo is the skull and crossbones, and that is like from the Black Freighter comic book from the original Watchmen. I would the comic within a comic. Yeah, I would not have. And I think there was a there, and there's like another. There's all kinds of Black Freighter Easter eggs in there too. But um, even oh, another (laughs) Easter egg is 
at the video store before she picks up the Sister Night video. There's one called Trunky, another elephant reference. Oh, true. Yeah. And elephants are going to play a big part in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, I actually think that all of those videos tie into, like, Watchmen lore. That's just, again, another one of the things I think is so special about this is that there are little nuggets that are in there for the diehard Watchmen fans like that. That it, it doesn't have any bearing on the overall story for those of us like myself that don't know much about the original content but yet for those that do, it just adds another layer of discovery of interest to everything. Right. Mm, so good. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Even right down to that kind of Rorschach style test that Beyond gives her that is essentially a test of empathy almost. Mm. Yeah. Which I think she even says. She Beyond does. says, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, something about it being a test of empathy. But I thought that was really great too. There's, there's, it's so thoughtful in how it lays out all of these different details. And just the idea that they're putting this much effort into these characters, I think is really exciting. It's part of what makes this show great. Like any story can have things that happen, but if you don't care about the characters, then it's not going to work. Well, and to think of how concise it's done. Just how neatly packaged it all is that we are able to get so many nuanced bits of information about all of these characters interwoven into like 48 minutes or however long an episode is. Right. Yeah. And there are so many other like possible connections that I don't know that the show ever makes, but I thought it was interesting to bring up the fact that in this episode they mentioned that John Osterman lived in Germany and you also have um Will Reeves' father you know was in Germany for World War 1 or the fact that Dr. Manhattan won the Vietnam War Angela is uh from Vietnam and Lady True is from Vietnam because mm-hmm. I think that actually ties back into if I'm not mistaken the previous episode Beyond and her nightmares about the guy burning villages, I actually think is a reference to the comedian who's Laurie's father. Oh, interesting. So it seems as though there are lots of connections, or at least inferred connections, between a lot of these different characters. Some of them, they don't really pull on those threads much, or is but it just, I think it's there. Or is it just the importance of what was going on at the time? You know, in the... In the 30s and 40s, everything was focused on Germany. And later on in the 70s, 60s and 70s, it was all focused in Vietnam. Yeah. Also, also very possible. But yeah, I think my favorite Easter egg, though, was the the halo over Angela and the devil horns over the uh, Dr. Manhattan photo or uh, painting. Yeah. And specifically that little symbol, too. And the camera's right hot in there. Yeah. There's so much. Again, you could watch these episodes over and over and over again, and you dig up new and interesting things. It's one of the most thoughtful shows top to bottom that I've seen in a long time. It's just, uh, they really go to a, a pretty extreme degree. Yeah, I agree. There's, uh, some PDPedia stuff about, um, 
about Sister Knight and how the style is called Black Mask. Hmm. So it's kind of a subgenre, kind of like black exploitation, yeah. as it's called mm-hmm. here in that same kind of era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's even like a song about Sister Knight, which I think is really interesting. Um, <laughs> it's so silly, but like there's there's like why don't you sing it for us, Nick? <laughs> I'm not gonna sing it, but there's a lyric like <laughs> when you're eating too much coleslaw and the mayo has turned sour, Sister Knight is getting stronger by the minute, by the hour. <laughs> and think of it like with this, like I don't know, seventies disco track behind yeah. it. Yeah. She's got a body like an angel. 3448 brick red. <laughs> but if you touch her chocolate body, your turkey ass will end up dead. Oh my god, please tell me somebody's actually recorded this. I don't know if it's been recorded, but there are lyrics. Shit, need, this needs to happen. That's amazing. There's <laughs> there's the, the chorus is she's out of sight, sight, sight. Oh, that's right, right, right. She's sister night, night, night. Get out of town, honky. <laughs> oh my god, I love this. Those are the lyrics. Oh my god, I love it. I'll bet you. I'll bet you someone's done it. What's the what's it called? Just Sister Night? What's the name of the song? Uh yeah, I believe so. It's it's part of the PDPedia stuff, so you can uh find it, you know, there. Sister Night theme song. I don't know. I don't know if someone's actually done it. Um, there's just comments on Reddit. Sister Night theme song is fantastic. I don't know if it's anything more than just listing out the lyrics. And I'm sure if somebody actually did it, we probably couldn't play it at the on uh, air. But And I don't see something doesn't mean it's not there it just means that my first initial glance on my google search did not turn up anything specific now i want to find it i'm sure someone's (laughs) done it if not if you're listening do it and send it to me i want it that's amazing yeah pretty cool even also we forgot to mention the transition the eye transition from angela's eyes to the stained glass windows how cool was that yeah yeah. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Like there's just so many details. I mean, we haven't even gotten into all of them, but there's just so many. I wonder in a strange way because it's like stained glass, it makes it look like a church. If she's like a god in waiting, it's going to be coming a god. Yeah. That's I mean, an interesting the, the, look of like she's looking down, she's this god-like figure. Yeah, it's it's just been set up the entire time. Yeah. I love it so much. So, so much to take away from it. Mm. Uh, so we jumped around a lot there, but yeah. I thought it was fun to talk about it. And, Always you fun know, to talk about the show. I'm the so... things that were first on my mind. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm so glad that we decided to dive into each episode individually. Cause I know for a while we were like, eh, should we just do it all in one shot? And I'm glad we've, we've decided not to. Yeah, because nothing is coming out anytime soon. Well, yeah, and that's really how it started. We were like, well, we got to milk this time. (laughs) Let's just do each individual episode. (laughs) That was really the intent behind it initially. Well, for me anyway. But now I'm like, I'm so glad we did this. 
I love episodes six, seven, and eight, and nine as well. But like these three are so good, mm-hmm. and I'm so excited to talk about them. The next episode, I'm completely thrilled by also, so I can't wait to get into that one. All right. All right, so you guys have heard our thoughts on Watchmen's episode seven in almost religious awe. Almost. Almost. Not quite, but almost. But we'd like to hear yours as well, so hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at NerdflixChill. You can also check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. If you're listening on one of those platforms, throw us a five-star review. What would an almost religious awe be like? We'd be like, hmm... Yeah, I guess so. Well done. Um, what was I about to say? I ruined I your to say something. The light is oh. dark. And the light is dark. Oh. <laughs> cool. Um, I'm done. Yeah, check out all of our new stuff at lrmonline.com, where you can check out the network of podcasts, find all kinds of good stuff to listen to. We'll be back next week with another Watchmen recap. Till next time, may the force be with you, because the night is dark and full of terrors. <laughs>